<laughs> well, good morning, Rocky Peak. How are you doing today? Great to see you, whether it's here or over in the summit. I want to welcome you in right now as we uh, start a service. Uh, my name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here, and that's sort of a great preview of coming attractions. You know, this uh, last May, we had the city of Chatsworth approach us, and they said, hey, we really, uh, we don't have the city funding or whatever to clean up Santa Susana Pass. We really need to do that. Would you be willing to jump in and help? And we said, absolutely. So last May, we had about 75 uh, people show up, and you saw all the work they were doing, whether it's uh, taking out mattresses, cutting back brush, whatever it was. They just did a great job, came back for a barbecue. And so this kind of a, a good segue into this weekend. Uh, we're going to be doing that in kind of a large force because this weekend we're doing it. It's a new event, it's kind of a prototype event for our church. It's called All Serve. And so on February 22nd, and I'm really just sharing this so you're aware of it because we're already full in terms of volunteers. But uh, this, this Saturday, we're going out for the first time. We're taking 600 uh, volunteers from Rocky Peak. We're going out to 25 different locations in the valleys we serve. Uh, just to love on people. So we're going to uh, homeless shelters. We're going to halfway houses. We're going to pregnancy crisis centers. We're going to city projects. We're going to uh, public schools. We're going to private schools. And we're just going to kind of serve. And so our goal is to just to show the love of Jesus in really practical ways and to try to create a culture out there that is like more aware that, hey, we're here. We're Christians. We love you. We care. We want to be part of the community. We want to be a force for good. And hopefully just create an environment where people that maybe have never even thought much about it, it's like, huh, well, that's interesting and just create an environment. They're just more open to the gospel, more open to checking out Jesus or trying out church or whatever it is. And so we're excited about that. So next weekend, we're gathering here at 7.30 in the morning. Uh, if you've already signed up for that, uh, you should have already received an email this week. So 7.30, we show up here, get your T-shirt, turn in your liability forms. We'll go out then to these 25 locations, come back at 12.30 to have a barbecue here. And so if you're saying like, well, bummer, I wish I could have gotten involved with that, uh, we really see this event as a prototype event. It's a, it's a ch we're going to test it out. We think it's going to grow great. We believe God's in it. Uh, if, if it just goes well, we're going to continue maybe about three times a year doing these events as a way to regularly connect with our community and just let them know that we're here, we love them, and we, we care. And so uh, they'll have more opportunities in the future. And so I just want to keep you aware of that. And next uh, weekend, we will uh, definitely uh, give you an update on, on how it went, all right? Uh, second thing is, uh, uh, is that uh, next, not next weekend, but the following weekend, we're doing baptisms. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, but you've not yet uh, been baptized, Jesus said kind of the first thing we do when we come to faith and to show the world that we're following is we get baptized. And so if you haven't done that, two weeks from today, we have an opportunity. And so uh, if you'd like to get baptized, you just uh, sign up on the back of your little connect card inside your program, or you can see the other instructions on the back of your program, what to do. And uh, we'll contact more information. We'll give you information about what it means to be baptized, make sure you understand it, you're ready to make that commitment, and then we'll uh, baptize you in a couple weeks. And third thing, as you can probably tell, I'm kind of struggling with a cold. I, I, it's so weird. I changed my diet, got more healthy this year, and so I've gotten sick twice, right? So, uh, you know, that's why, that's why I'm saying cinnamon rolls are a must for every diet. Uh, but uh, anyway... Uh, so I've been sick this week. I've made it through all weekend, but I'll definitely, I'll probably hack a little today. So if we could just all agree to ignore me today, that would be great. Just listen to what I say, ignore me. I'm not going to die, I promise you. I don't feel that bad. It's just my head's kind of crazy and my voice's a little crazy. Other than that, my body's fine. So, uh, 
So we'll just ignore that, all right? Can we all agree to do that? Just kind of agree that so if I hack or cough or take more drinks, and don't let it be a distraction. We're here for Jesus and his word, and, and uh, we've got just a great lesson today. And so I don't want us to miss that, all right? Let's go do that together. All right, let's uh, turn off our cell phones. And now, hey, whether you're here or over the summit, we love you over there. Uh, stand up, cell phones off, greeting one another, and I'll get ready to go. Well, how are you doing today? You guys good to go? You ready? Yeah, it's great to be. I love this place. This is fun being in here. Feels very intimate. Uh, I like you guys back there. We got lights for you back there. Can you see? Yeah, right. Last week was a little dark. We fixed that. Every week, we're, well, you are fixing a few things. We're working over for you in the summit. We're working on getting some faders right now uh, on those lights so we can control lighting environment over there. And so every week, you'll see small changes as we live and learn and, and how to make this our home for the next six months. But uh, I'm excited to, to be here today and, and to share with you from God's Word. And so if you're brand new, uh, I think I mentioned if I, I didn't, my name is Mike and I'm one of the pastors and uh, we're going to be going to our time of teaching. We do this every week and so inside your program is a, a, a green and white message note sheet. So let's take that out together. We'll be prepared to go. And if you guys are set, uh, I'm ready. You guys all ready to go? Amen. All right, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here. We're thankful for what you're doing at our church in and through us. And, and Lord, we just want to have greater impact in this world for you. And today as we talk about really sort of a controversial topic of, of politics and Jesus and politics and what does it mean to follow you in this area? I pray you just speak with great clarity. I pray that I'd be clear, strengthen my voice, strengthen my mind. I pray that I'd speak with great force and clarity and passion. Uh, I pray, Lord, as a church, we gather around your word, be listening for you. We'd be open to you to challenge us in maybe some ways that we haven't been challenged before. We'd just be open-minded to hear the voice of your spirit. So we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, today we are continuing this series that we've been in now for about the last month and a half called Jesus the Crucified King. And for those of you who are brand new, I do want to welcome you and also I'll just give you a brief kind of snapshot where we've been. This is a series about the life and teaching of Jesus. It's actually the third in a trilogy of series on the life of Jesus. As told by one of the leaders in the early movement of Jesus, his name is Mark. He's a close personal friend of the Apostle Peter. And so this is an account of the life of Jesus based on the first-hand accounts of the Apostle Peter. And so we've watched the last few weeks as Jesus has come into Jerusalem. It's the last week of his life. At the end of this week, it'll be the Passover on Friday. And we've watched as Jesus has begun to reveal his true identity as the King of Israel and as the, the great Messiah. He's, he's begun to reveal that in some new, very bold, provocative ways, also ways that are sort of subtle and hidden. And so on, on Sunday, we watched as he rode in on the colt of a donkey in fulfillment of the ancient prophecy of Zechariah that, behold, your king comes riding on the colt of a donkey. On Monday, he comes into the huge temple complex and in fulfillment of the prophecy of Malachi uh, that one day Yahweh would return and he would cleanse the, the nation starting at the temple. He Jesus stages his demonstration, overturns the tables of the money changers and the vendors, uh, uh, kind of makes a scene to, to make a point. And so it's still now like, uh, it's, it's like Tuesday or it's Wednesday, it's early in the week. And every day I've used this analogy like Jesus is like a card player. Every day he's kind of putting down another one of his cards and revealing more of his identity. And with each card that he lays down, it's leading to increasing conflict escalating conflict with the religious and political Jewish leaders who see him as a threat to their authority. And so uh, what, what's happening is that in these next couple days, they're going to send uh, uh, different teams, uh, delegations 
to Jesus, made up different kinds of leaders, uh, Pharisees, Herodians, uh, Sadducees, uh, uh, chief priests, elders. He would send these teams, and, and they've been working in the back rooms to come up with what are some questions we could ask Jesus, kind of view it like a, a press conference that, that's uh, kind of a hostile press conference. What are some questions we could ask Jesus that will either undercut his growing popularity with the crowd or that would cause him to get into trouble with the Roman authorities and allow us to bring him up on charges for insurrection. And so today we're going to see two groups that we've met before in Mark, way back in chapter 3, two groups coming together that are normally political enemies. They're normally on opposite sides of the aisle. This would be like Republicans and Democrats coming together on a bipartisan initiative uh, to trip up Jesus because they, though they don't like one another, they both hate Jesus. And so they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna come together and they're going to ask him a question that they think is just brilliant. And it really was. I'm sure that they'd spent hours behind the scenes with a whiteboard. What can we ask him to trip him up? That'd just be impossible. So they're going to ask him this question. It's just a really tough question. It's one of those questions that really has like no, right, no good answer. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard, like, the question, is this the first time that you've cheated on your wife? <laughs> yes? No? Uh, there is no, there, it's like the perfect question if you want to break someone down, right? So they're going to come up, with, but their question's not about cheating, their question is about taxes, right? So it's a, it's, a, it's a political hot button, and I need to uh, explain a little bit of the background of, of why it was such a hot button. So we're going to go back in time about 25 years before this day of the temple. So like Jesus, every day, right, he's coming into the temple in the morning, teaching during the day, every night going back to the town of Bethany, two miles outside the city, uh, where he's going to spend the night with his, his disciples. So it's like Tuesday or Wednesday, he's back in the city. And so they're going to ask him a question. And so about 25 years before this event that we're studying today, about 25 years before, uh, that the Roman government instituted a new tax on the nation of Israel. Now, it wasn't on all the Israelites. It was on the, the, only the provinces that, uh, uh, that directly reported to Rome. So if you remember, like when, Herod, when Jesus was born, Herod the Great was king, and he was king over all of Israel and surrounding areas. After he died, his kingdom was divided between three of his sons. Some of those sons served as kings over their area and reported directly to Rome. Uh, other, other areas were, uh, were ruled by a Roman governor who reported to Rome. And so in the area where, uh, of Jerusalem, the area of Judea, it was ruled by a Roman governor like Pilate. Right? And so in those areas that reported directly to Rome, this tax was instituted 25 years before that was called the poll tax or a head tax. And so if you were in those provinces, you lived there, you had to pay every year an annual tax directly to Rome of a denarius. Now, there was also other taxes, but this was a, a silver coin called the denarius. A denarius represented one day's uh, work for a common laborer. And so, uh, so this tax, when it was instituted 25 years before, Jesus would have been like four or five years old. Uh, when it was instituted, it was incredibly unpopular. In fact, in the north where Jesus lived, uh, which was kind of the radical part of the nation, known for revolutionaries, uh, that, that uh, there was actually a revolt. It was led by a man named Judas uh, the Galilean, and he, he uh, organized an organized revolt, a war against Rome that had, they had to come put down. And his followers eventually became known as the Zealots. And you may have heard that one of Jesus' own followers was Simon the Zealot. 
They became sort of like the freedom fighters or the terrorists of their day, depending on how you look at it. They, they advocated armed resistance against Rome. And 40 years after Jesus was crucified, they will lead a major rebellion against Rome that will lead to the destruction of Jerusalem, the temple, uh, in 70 AD. And so this, this tax that was implemented was very unpopular. And so some, there was a lot of people that felt like, hey, we shouldn't be paying it at all, that we report to God. God is our king. We shouldn't be letting Caesar rule over us. We should revolt like the zealots. God will be with us. And just like in the days of Judas Maccabeus in 167 BC, God will be with us and he'll give us our freedom. We should revolt against this tax. We should fight. We should go to war. Most of the nation felt like, no, we should pay the tax. We could never beat Rome. But even those who paid the tax, they did it with great resentment. Because when you pay this tax, you had to pay with a silver coin called the denarius. Like you couldn't use any other kind of currency. And the, the Roman denarius had a picture of Caesar on the front. Now, the, for the Jews, then the second of the Ten Commandments was that thou, thou shall not make any graven images. And this really referred to images to worship God. But they had extrapolated and applied it to say, no, we should have no like, pictures of anyone in our nation. And they were, they were, vi- they were extreme about this. Uh, picture today like in Saudi Arabia or one of the, the, the uh, kind of Arab nations, how, how like their religion and politics are so intertwined. They get so violent so quick. That was, the Jews were much like that. And so, for example, when Pilate, who was the, the, go- the Roman governor at the time of Jesus, one time he tried to bring the Roman tribunals, you know, the, their big banners in with the armies into the, uh, Jerusalem and into the temple area. And there was a major military revolt. Like, you don't mess with our temple. And so, so the, the Jews hated this. So they had to pay this tax. Not only did they hate the tax, they hated it had the picture of the, the Caesar on the coin, uh, which they considered idolatry. And then, and to make matters worse, the inscription on the coin said, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus Caesar. In other words, son of a god. And on the back of it, it said, Tiberius Caesar, high priest of the Roman Empire. And so to them, this was an idolatrous coin, and they wanted nothing to do with this. So this was a political hot button. I want you to think of like our country, the Boston Tea Party, when that tax came down. This was a political hot button. And so uh, what's going to happen today is these two groups that never get along, Herodians and Pharisees, normally on opposite side of the aisles politically, they're going to come to Jesus and they're going to ask him, hey, do you think we should, as Jews, pay this tax? And this is one of those questions, there is no good answer. Because if you say yes, you're going to lose the favor of all the crowds who hate Rome, hate this idolatry, and who see when Messiah comes, he'll destroy Rome so we don't have to do this anymore. But if you say, no, you shouldn't pay the tax, you're going to open up yourself to charges of insurrection against the government. And they're going to be able to take you to court, which is what they're going to do in two days. So they think they have him. You know, Samuel, Jacob, you know, in the back room, whiteboard, what can we ask him? Oh, we got him. We got him. And so let's see what happens. Chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. All right, so later, they, verse, verse 13, 
later they send some uh, Pharisees and Herodians, opposite aisle people, to Jesus to catch him in his words. They're, they're teaming up. So they, they come to him. They say, teacher, look, we know you're a man of integrity. So they're going to start with flattery. They're going to start buttering Jesus up, right? What they want him to do is let down his guard and just speak out and say something that's going to get him in trouble. So they're going to start with flattery. Well, hey, we know you're amazing, Jesus. You're, you're just like, you're a man of integrity. It doesn't matter what who you're talking to or what the issue, you're just going to speak the truth of God. You just want to speak God's truth. You're never going to be manipulative. You're never going to be hide behind anything. You're just, so that's how they're going to start. What they're trying to do is give him to lower his guard. So, so he'll say something to get him in trouble. And so they said, uh, teacher, we know you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. You teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Like you're just, you know, you're the bomb. You're amazing. So, all right. Now, here, sidebar here, right? So they are being very ingenuous. They, they, it's, this is total hypocrisy. But here's what I want you to catch. When they're trying to, to trip up Jesus, the only thing they could try to trip him up on was his integrity. And, and I want to just do a quick sidebar here, because men and women, if we're going to make a difference in the world today, if, if we're going to be a force for good, which is what we're talking about today, one of the most important character qualities of our life that we need to grow and become like Jesus is integrity. Like if we're going to make an impact, hey, say what you mean. Mean what you say. Follow through on your, on your, on your commitments, even when they're hard. Tell the truth, even when it costs you. Be a person of integrity. If we want to have an impact today, there is no more important character quality than people of integrity. And what I want you to catch is that they're coming at Jesus. They're looking like, how do, we t how do we mess him up? And the only thing they can shoot for is his integrity. Anyway, he's just a man of integrity. You know, let's just play to that. Let's play to his integrity. You know, he's such integrity. He tells the truth. And, and here's the thing. What I want you to get is that Jesus was a man of integrity. And as followers of Jesus, as he works in our lives and as we grow, you and I will become more and more people of integrity. And here's the thing, there is great freedom in that. You know, so many times we live our lives to please other people. And when you live your life to be a people pleaser, it leads to bondage. It doesn't matter what's your mother-in-law, your parents, your spouse, your kids, your coworkers. When you live your lives to please others, it leads to bondage. And Jesus wants us to teach us how to live our lives for an audience of one. There's one we live for. There's one we want to please. And that leaves incredible freedom. And every time we take a step in that direction, we become more free. And so Jesus models this for us. And they, they appeal this integrity. And so uh, they said that after they butter them up, they said, so is it right? Here comes the question. Is it right? to pay taxes or not. And so, of course, what they're saying, is it right for us as Jews to submit to Caesar's authority or should we rebel? You know, he's this godless leader. Should we pay or shouldn't we? And so Jesus knows their hypocrisy. It's not a real question. They're not really asking, like, what's God's will? They, they just want to trip him up. He says, why are you trying to trap me? Bring me a denarius. This is the silver coin we described. And let me look at it. And so they bring him a coin. It's kind of funny. He doesn't have one, but they do. Hey, I'd love to comment. I don't have a coin. You, you have all those idolatrous coins? Oh, you do. Great. Awesome. 
So they brought him the coin, and he asked him, hey, whose who's portrait? In the Greek, it's the word catches image. Okay? He said, hey, whose image is this? Well, it's the image of Tiberius Caesar, right? Whose image is this? And whose inscription? You know, son of Augustus the divine, you know, high priest. Whose inscription? And they said, oh, it's Caesar's. You know, in other words, Caesar commissioned this coin. Caesar produced this. Caesar's responsible for this coin. And so he says, oh, well, I'd say just give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I think that was profound, I think. <laughs> and what's Jesus done? He, he said something that's brilliant. He's like, they thought they had him. It's either yes or no. They're like, well, who, whose picture is that? Well, it's Caesar's. Well, <laughs> give to Caesar. And like, well, what does that mean? Right? And everyone's like, whoa, that's deep. That's deep. Yeah. And so what Jesus has done, he sidestepped the trap. But he's answered their question, too. Because in a way that they could never accuse him of anything, he's clearly said, there's certain things you do, O Caesar. And there's certain things you don't. And he's clearly articulating that he's not a zealot. Like he's not saying, yeah, rebel. And so he's saying something profound, but it's hard to get your hands around it. Now, here's what's going to happen. As you move out into the New Testament, his followers, like Peter, who was there that day, like John, they're going to take this principle that, yeah, there are certain things that belong to Caesar, the other things only belong to God. And they're going to flesh it out for us, what he meant. But in the moment, he blows them away. And they're like, what just happened? And I want you to catch what happens next. It says, it says, and the last thing it says, and they were amazed at him. Like, oh, we thought he had him. That was good. That was good. And so once again, Jesus shows his brilliance, his dependence on the Holy Spirit. As God gives him what to say. And he cites this. Well, what he does for us today is he spells out two powerful principles. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in the midst of an increasingly secular or pagan culture? What does it look like to follow Jesus in the area of politics? And so today, I want to take some time, lay some groundwork, lay out two big picture principles that are really important for us as followers of Jesus, then come back and ask very, three very pointed questions. And I promise you, it's going to get quiet in here today, all right? And for many of you, thanks for coming to Rocky Peak. I, I know that after today, uh, just, God bless you as you go. God's blessings on you. All right, here we go. Number, we won't have a crowding problem next week. I'm telling you that. We're just like, number one. Okay, first big picture, but there in your notes sheet, there's a section, Jesus and politics, two important principles. No, number one, uh, first of all, first of all, as, as Christ followers, we're called to be good citizens, now, as, when I say that word, I mean, I don't know what goes through my mind. I'm not saying Boy Scouts. Like, that's not, I, I'm talking about this in terms of if you've ever read Greek philosophy, Plato, Aristotle, this concept of citizenship. What makes a healthy country? What makes a healthy nation? What's the role of a citizen that's pouring into a culture to create a positive culture? That's what I'm talking about. As Christ followers, we are called to be a force for good wherever we go. So, so we're going to come back to Salate, but as, as followers of Jesus, there are two top priorities in our life. 
We're to love God and we're to what? Love people. And so wherever we go, as followers of Jesus, we're to be a force for good. So like, like if you work as a, like any company should want to have Christians on their team, unless they're doing something illegal, right? That they, any country should want to have Christians in their country. That, why? Because if, 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 if you really understand how this works, and I'm talking about true Christ followers who are really living out their faith, not people who claim to be. I'm not, like, like if you're a country, I don't care what country, you should want Christ followers because because if it's truly a Christ follower, you're going to be, have a, a, like the more Christ followers you have, you have people who are going to work hard. They have a strong work ethic. They're, they're going to have great integrity. They're going to tell the truth. They're going to care about people. They're going to serve their bosses as if they're the Lord himself. They're going to be highly productive. They're, they're not going to be all dependent on welfare because they're, they're working hard, right? They're, they're not going to be filling up drug centers, you know, and causing problems because, because they're following Jesus and he's delivered them for that. And so, and so any country that's worth its salt is thinking clearly, say, I mean, I want as many Christ followers as uh, they're going to be paying their taxes. They're going to be involved. They're going to be serving their community. I say, so, so the vision we have in the New Testament as followers of Jesus, we should be great citizens, good, good citizens. And so this is where Jesus starts it off. And he, 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 the, the question is, uh, should we pay taxes to Caesar in other words, should we be submitting to the government? And Jesus says, absolutely. And so as you go out in the New Testament, there are many, many passages that talk about this. As Christ followers, we should submit to authorities, be great citizens, and in this way, help advance the kingdom of God. So for example, there in your note sheet, uh, I'm going to walk you through one of these passages. Now, there's many of them, right? But we don't have time for all of them. I'm going to pick one. One of the reasons I picked this is uh, it's written by Peter, who is there that day. So Jesus says, uh, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Okay, well, what does that mean? Peter's going to say, well, here's what it means. All right? He's going he's to teach, uh, expand this teaching of Jesus. Now, here's what we're going to do. We got this passage, and I want you to have your pen ready. We're going to circle a lot. We're going to make marks a lot. I'm going to comment a lot on this, because this is packed full of powerful principles for us. So uh, Peter says, submit yourself, and what does he say next? Submit yourself what? For the Lord's sake. Circle that. And I want to introduce you to an important concept today. And it's the concept of primary, uh, primary authority and secondary authority. Okay? So as Christ followers, what the New Testament teaches, as followers of Jesus, our primary authority is whom? It's God. It's Jesus. Remember when Jesus left planet Earth, he said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. I'm in charge of the universe because my life, death, and resurrection, I am the Lord of all creation. And so for us as Christ followers, Jesus is Lord. He's our primary authority. But here's what I want you to catch, that Jesus comes to each of us and he says, okay, Mike, have you decided to follow me? Yes, I have, Lord. Okay, now here's what I ask of you, Mike. Okay. I would like you to submit to the governing authorities for my sake. Can you do that, Mike? Uh, I'm not so sure, Lord. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, okay, like I put you in a country, so you have a president, right? What's his name? Obama. Okay, good. This is nice to say that name. Um, to, yeah. So we have a president, 
right? And you have a Congress, and you have Supreme Courts, and you have a governor. What's his name? Governor Brown, right? And you have a state legislature, and you have low. Okay, so, Mike, these are the, the people that I've allowed to be an authority in your country. And so, as my follower, for my sake, I would like you to submit to their authority. Can you do that for my sake? Uh, yes. Uh, I think so. Maybe. Right? So are you, you catch this? So there's primary authority and there's secondary authority. And, and as Christ followers, we're called to submit to our leaders for Jesus' sake. He's our primary authority. They're our secondary authority. Let's go on. And he says, so submit yourself to the Lord's sake. Catch this, to every authority, okay, no exception, instituted among men, whether to the king as a supreme authority. Now, I want you to... Remember, who is the ultimate authority in the Roman Empire? Caesar. Now, let's talk about that for a minute because this informs our thinking later on. So the ultimate authority when Peter was writing this, when Jesus was saying this, was Caesar. And the people that he'd appointed, like King Herod, Antipas, who, who, the guy who beheaded John the Baptist because his his uh, niece uh, danced and asked for him to cut off his head. This is the kind of leader that Peter is saying, as Christ followers, we need to submit to. We need to submit to Caesar, who is taking our tax dollar and building temples to Zeus. We need to submit to Caesar, who is ruling his subjects with brutality. We need to submit to Herod the Great, who is massacring infants in Bethlehem to kill Jesus. We need to submit to these authorities that later on will be persecuting Christians for following Christ. Okay? Are you with me? These are the authorities of their day that these instructions apply to. So he says, we're to submit ourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among, whether the king as a supreme authority or to governors. That would be in his day like Pontius Pilate was a governor who executed Jesus who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. That's their job. They'll have to answer to God. They're to, they're to uh, create a culture where those who are advancing the common good are blessed. Those who are, who are caught bringing evil are, are held responsible. And he says, for it's God's will. So circle that. It's God's will. This is not, as Christ follows, kind of an optional equipment on the Christian life. This is his clearly what Jesus says. It's God's will that by what? By doing good. So go back again. What I talked about as Christ followers, we're to be a force for what? Force for good wherever we go. And as citizenship in a country, we're to be a force for good. We're to make the world a better place. We're to be the kind of citizen that would advance the cause of the country. So it's for, for God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Now, what's he talking about? Well, in the first century, when Peter wrote this, there were a lot of misconceptions about Christ followers. I shared this last night, and by the gasps in the room, I realized that, oh, most people don't know this. So let me just kind of, I wasn't even in my notes, just kind of throw it out last night. I'm going to spend some time. Uh, in the first century, there were a lot of misconceptions about Christ followers. Let me share just a few of you. 
First of all, many people believed, and people were writing on this, that Christ followers were cannibals. You go, what? It's like, yes, because we eat the body and blood of Christ. Now, this wasn't a joke. This is serious. In the first century, they believed that when Christians got together, there were wild orgies. Why? Because we celebrate love feasts and everyone's brothers and sisters. So they believed that Christians would get together wild sexual orgies uh, where everyone's just swapping partners. Uh, in, the, er, in the first century, the Roman Empire believed that one of the, the, the greatest accusations of Christians is that they were atheists. You go, what? Atheists? Like, yeah, because you don't believe in all the gods. And in the Roman Empire, they believed, the common belief was the reason Rome is so blessed is because we have honored the gods. And if you're a Christian and you're not going to the temple and honoring the gods, it's a politically subversive act that's undercutting the whole empire. Are you with me in this? So Christians are seen as cannibalistic, uh, incestuous, uh, rebellious, uh, anti-patriotic people. And what, what Peter says is, hey, if we're gonna influence this culture and help people come to Christ, then we have to change that perception of Christ followers. And he says, and one of the most powerful ways to do it is not by what we say, but with our words, I mean, with our actions, that we would be a force for good. So he says, you need to be doing good. And what that does is it undercuts and it creates an environment where people are more open to the message of Christ. Men and women, this is why we're doing all serve. It's because we want to go out in our community. We want to change the perception of Christ for us. That we're not in this wall. We're not uh, this judgmental, self-righteous wall. We're people who love people. We care about people. We care about our community. And we want to go out and love and serve in such a way it helps break down those walls. So it'll be more open to the gospel of Jesus. You see? And that's exactly what Peter's saying here. He says, um, he says, it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. So he says, live as free men. Yes, you report to Jesus. He's your primary authority. He's, you're free in Christ. He says, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Now, what's he talking about? He's saying, I don't have to follow the, the laws of this land because I report to Jesus. I don't report to Caesar, and that's a stupid law. That's using our freedom as a cover-up, a rationalization for evil. And so he goes on, and he says, so live as, live as servants of God. Show proper what? Respect. Circle that. Proper respect to whom? Everyone. And in context, that everyone is government officials. We'll see that again later on. Love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, and then catch this, honor the king. Circle that. Now, men and women, who in our country would be the closest thing we have to a king? Let's, who is it? Obama. The President Obama. And what does it say we're to do? Honor the king. And here's the interesting thing you'll find. Well, throughout the Bible, you will find that when when God's people are called up before pagan, rebellious, horrendous leaders, throughout the, they always respect the king. 
They may stand against, they may take a stand, they may rebel, but they always do it with respect. Think of Joseph, think of Daniel, think of Meshach, Shadrach, and Rebendigo, think of the apostle Peter and the apostle John, think of Paul. They're going before secular authorities, often evil men, and yet they're doing it with respect, all right? And so the first principle here is that as Christ followers, uh, Jesus asks us to be good citizens. Second principle, and it kind of balances the first one. The second principle is that there are limits to our allegiance. That we are to honor, that we are to give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. We're to honor Caesar. But we're to give to God what belongs to God. In other words, there, there's, a, there's certain things that don't belong to Caesar. And if Caesar ever asks for something that belongs to God, we have to say no. That there are limits. And so we see this throughout the Bible, don't we? Like, think with, uh, back, if you go back to the nation of Israel in Egypt. And remember, they were growing, populations expanding, they're slaves. And the Pharaoh goes to the Hebrew midwives and all their birthing centers or whatever. And the memo comes out, hey, if a baby girl is born, let her live. But if a baby boy is born, you need to, you need to kill him, you need to strangle him. Right? And so what do the Hebrew midwives say? They said, no. They actually came up with a lie. And they, they said, no. And they, they refused to do that. And they, they came up with a lie. And they protected the baby boys. Why? Because Caesar was asking for something that doesn't belong to Caesar, which was the power of life and death. And so they had to draw a line and say, no, that doesn't belong to you. There are certain things that belong to you. Certain things that don't. Think of this week in your, your life group, you'll be studying the story of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. These are young men who are taken in their prime, captured from their nation, taken to uh, a thousand miles away to this godless nation of Babylon as captives, put through their top pagan educational system, and then asked to, to serve the country that just destroyed their country. And they did. They served. They submitted. They served with honor, treated the king with honor and respect to such a degree that they became some of the highest placed officials in the nation. But at the point where, where, where Nebuchadnezzar asked them to do things that belong to God alone, they said, no, we have to draw the line. So with respect, they said, no, you'll study that. In the New Testament, think of Peter and John, that they come before the religious authorities two or three months after Jesus has been arrested by the same authorities. And they said, we gave you orders not to, not to preach in the name of Jesus. And they acted with great respect, but they said, well, you know, Jesus, who's King Jesus, who said all authority on heaven and earth belong to me, Jesus told me to, to tell you this. And so I can't stop. In fact, they're in your note sheet. Look how they put it. It's a famous passage where it says, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking of what we've seen and heard. And so what we see in the Bible is that as followers of Jesus, we're called to be good citizens, a force for good, respect, submit, honor our leaders, and yet there are limits. If our country, our king, our Congress asks us to do something that blatantly violates uh, the moral law of God, we say no. With respect, we say no. All right, so, so those are the principles. Now, let's get real practical and talk about our lives. And this is where it may get a little uncomfortable. And so if it gets uncomfortable, and I, I promise you it's going to get progressively uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm starting easy. It will get harder, right? But if it does, here's what I ask as my brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, often as brothers and sisters, we've come to Jesus, but we've not allowed him to, to renew our minds. 
And many of the things that we hold on to as sacred are really not sacred. Sometimes they're satanic. And so we always need to come before the word of God and say, okay, I need to think like Jesus. And we need to submit our minds to the Holy Spirit. And all I'm asking to do is if anything I say today is offensive or sounds wrong, all I'm asking you to do is to go before God and say, what does the scripture say? And if you say, it doesn't say what I'm saying, then throw it out. But if it does, be open-minded that, hey, maybe Jesus wants to do a new work and bring you to another level of freedom and influence in our culture as a follower of Jesus, all right? So here we go. Number one, this is the easiest question. There in your section, Jesus and politics, three quick, three key questions. Number one, how are your actions? So let's start with the easy stuff. We've seen today that as followers of Jesus, we're to submit to the governing authorities. And so the question is, in your life, are you submitting to the government authorities? Like, are you following the rules of the land? Are you paying your taxes? Or are you getting paid uh, kind of under the table? Or you're doing illegal things? And, and honestly, in your mind, your, th- your mind goes like this. If our leaders were more godly or more bright, then I would pay this or I'd follow these regulations because, but these are just ridiculous. They're looney tunes or they're just immoral. And so, I, so I'm, I'm not participating in this. I, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to, I don't believe in our leaders, and I'm not submitting to them because I don't believe in their leadership. And here's what I want you to catch. This is why I spent so much time, like, like who are the leaders of Jesus' day or Peter's day? Like, I don't care how bad our leaders are right now, they are not within gunshot of those leaders. And so often we will rationalize our disobedience and say, well, it's stupid laws or I don't respect the leaders or whatever. Here's what I want you to catch. As followers of Jesus, the level of leadership in our country should never determine the quality of our citizenship. Okay. We should be great citizens regardless of the quality of our leadership. Because catch this, as followers of Jesus, we never let others determine our actions. In fact, this goes back to like Jesus 101. And it's funny to me because what I've found in Christian circles, we are often very schizophrenic when it comes to following Jesus. Like we know our top commands are to love God and to love people. And so in most of our life, our families, our church, our Workplace, that's what we follow. But somehow when we cross over into the land of politics, it's like the gloves come off when we feel like those, those basic teachings of Jesus don't apply anymore. Like, like somehow it's okay to violate everything Jesus said in this area. So let's go back there on your note sheet. Let's, you know, it's just some of the basic teaching of, of, of Jesus. Um, well, well, let me hold that one. Uh, let's go back there on your note sheet under Romans 12. Let's look at that passage. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? So, so we don't let others determine us. And we'll talk about that more in a minute, all right? So the first one is just the basic one, your, your actions. Are you, are you following the laws, playing by the rules, uh, paying your taxes? Are uh, you being a good citizen? Are you voting? Are you involved in the political process? You know, we've got a tremendous privilege in this country. You know, I say, well, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't follow, I don't like either of the candidates. okay. That's fine, but pick the one you like the least. All right. You don't vote for the other person. All right? So uh, are you involved? Okay. Now, number two, 
Now, now, now this is going to get harder. And, and this one goes like this. How is your attitude? Because what we've seen today is that followers of Jesus were not called simply to submit to our leaders. We're called to honor them. We're called to respect them. And this is hard, is it not? Uh, we live in a country, and just kind of where I'm at, is we live in a country, I, I just really, I really fear for the future of our country. Like, I, I feel like we, we are losing our moorings. You know, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah says, woe to those call, who call good evil and those who call evil good. Isaiah says, woe to those call what is light darkness and what is darkness light. And that's where we're at right now, increasingly, right? And so you say, hey, I am concerned for the direction of our, our country. I feel like our leaders are so often politically motivated. They're not asking what's good for the common good. They're asking what's best for their careers. They're not leaders of integrity. They're just looking out for number one. They're not looking for the long-term uh, 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 impact of our, our, our kids. They're just looking to get reelected. It's often the decisions are, are they're, they don't make any sense. They're not very bright. They don't work on paper. They don't work in life. Sometimes they're even immoral. And if you say, well, that's where I stand, I'd say, I stand with you. Right? I agree to all that. But the question is, how do we respond to our leaders and our attitude? And here's what I found that often as Christ was, we do become very schizophrenic. And we think that it's okay because we don't like the directions or the policies or the character, that it's okay for us to begin to attack with character assassination, mocking, vile comments, forwarding emails that have not been researched, are not even accurate, and all in the name of Christ. And what we don't understand is we are shooting ourselves in the foot. Because if we want to be an impact on our culture, we have to show that we have something to offer our culture. And if we fight with the, with the, the, uh, the weapons of warfare from, from the dark side, it's going to destroy us. Remember when, when, when Jesus said, put away the sword, Peter, those who... The, who, who you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. I mean, if you use the tactics of the enemy, if you become ugly, if you become vicious, if you become character attacking, if you become uh, a slanderous, if you pass on wrong information, you are not fighting for Jesus, you are fighting for Satan. And frankly, men and women, I am often appalled as I, as I hear people who are presented as Christ followers in the media and the hatred and the vindictiveness and the lies. It's like whatever it takes to win. And, and if I could even be more candid, I am appalled at times when I look at Facebook and people who call themselves Christians here at Rocky Peak and what we are saying and what we are putting on and the attacks that we are doing. Men and women, we are followers of Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, we are to be people of courage and people of integrity. And we stand against the tide, but we stand with honor and we stand with love and we stand with respect. And we have to go back to the basics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And I want you to see this there in your note sheet. Here's like Jesus 101. There in your note sheet, Luke chapter 6, Jesus says to love your home, 
Okay, and some of you might say, well, I consider these people my enemies. Great. Then what's your marching orders? Love them. Well, just to be clear, doesn't mean agree. Doesn't mean to be quiet. No, it means we love them. He's like, so love your enemies. Do good to those who what? Hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who... Now, men and women, this is Jesus 101. And somehow we've gotten to this mindset where like this applies to 80% of our life, but in politics it doesn't apply. It does. It does. And when we go uh, uh, name-calling, attacking, slander, we are just doing the work of the enemy. And, and, and really, why would anyone on the other side want to say, oh, great, I want to be a Christian so I can be part of that hate-loving group? <laughs> you see? We violated our core. Can I tell you something? There is never a situation that you will be in where you are called as a Christ follower to violate the ethic of love. Never. Stand, yes. Courage, yes. Take a stand, yes. Civil disobedience, maybe. But we do it with love. We do it with respect. You know, a few years ago, I was reading a book by uh, Philip Yancey, who's just a great Christian author, and he, he wrote this book called What's So Amazing About Grace? And he tells this uh, penetrating story. It was back when President Clinton was in office, and his approval ratings were, were really dropping with the kind of, you know, more conservative Christian voters because he was pro-abortion rights, right? He was pro-gay rights. And then his personal lifestyle, the whole thing with Monica Lewinsky was going on. And, and so he's just getting all this, you know, bad, you know, attacks from, from Christ followers who rightly were standing against those issues, right? And so he gets together t- 20 of the top influential evangelical leaders of our nation to meet with him at the White House or just to discuss this and, and, and kind of why, you know, where are we at and how can we move forward and so on. So Philip happened to be there at one of those things. And one of the things he shared with him afterwards, it just is so piercing. It was there in your note sheet. He said, he said, I've been in politics long enough to expect criticism and hostility, but I was unprepared for the hatred I get from Christians. Why do Christians hate so much? Wow. And so as followers of Jesus, I think probably many of us here, we need to repent. You know, we may have done this for all the right reasons. We really thought this was, we were being bold or taking a stand. Hey, but if, if we're attacking, name-calling, mocking, slandering, those don't come from the, the light side. It comes from the dark side. And we need to repent. Right. Now, number three, it's harder. The third question is, where is your allegiance? So we, we've seen today that as followers of Jesus, that there is a primary authority in our life, and that's God, that's Jesus. There are secondary authorities that we're called to respect. And so Jesus calls us, that, that our, our primary allegiance is to Jesus, and he says, for my sake, would you submit to these authorities? And we say, yes, Lord, right? 
And we've seen that there are limits at that time, at times. So there are limits to that allegiance. And so here's what I want you to catch. And this might be a controversial concept once I say it. But here's what I want you to especially hang with me. Listen and, and just kind of be open and see what God says to your heart. What this means practically, as followers of Jesus, there are limits to our patriotism. So I want you to catch this. As followers of Jesus, we're called to be patriotic. In fact, um, it doesn't matter what nation you live in. If you, you live, you're a Christian and you live in Saudi Arabia, you live in Brazil, you live in Russia, you live in uh, the Netherlands, you live in the United States. As followers of Jesus, we're called to submit to the leaders. We're called to honor the king. We're to respect for all. And so, so we are to be a force for good. And so as Christians, we should be patriotic. But what I want you to catch is that as Christians, we are also called to be prophetic. We're to be a light in a dark place. We're to be salt in the world. And so when our country, or catch this, don't miss this, when our party that we belong to, when our country or party stands for something that Jesus stands against, we need to stand with Jesus, not with our party. And many times as Christians, we have not done our thinking well in this. And what we've believed is that as Christians, we're to stand always for our country and then always for our party. And that's how we're patriotic and that's what Jesus... And so what we've done is we've been quick to wrap Jesus in the American flag. As if to worship one is to worship the other. And what we need to understand is no. And sometimes as Christians, we can be so, our allegiance is so strong to our party that even when our party is way off base, we are still supporting our party instead of standing with Jesus. It can happen both Democrats and liberals, I mean, Democrats and Republicans, right? I, I think, you know, I, I think of some of the things that, that have happened in the Democratic Party that are clearly evil or with or when, you know, say uh, the president was, you know, back with President Trump was really doing something, and, and that there were Christians who were on the liberal side of things who were really defending to the hilt. All right, well, let's wait and say, oh, wait, wait. I, I think back to Watergate days way back, and so many Christians were Republicans in and defending the president of the United States. And then it was like, when these allegations, and we do this. It's like we, we latch on to our country or our party and it makes us blind and we're not asking the right question. And the right question is where would Jesus stand on this issue? And, and I want to be clear, I'm not saying it's always easy to decide where Jesus stands. You could often make an argument for different ways. But I'm saying as Christians, that should be our question. Is not where does our party stand, but where does Jesus stand? And then stand with him whether it's in our party or not. Like as, as Christ followers, we're to stand with Jesus for what is right and good and true, wherever that is. And if our party is standing for something evil or our country, we need to unwrap that flag. And he said, right now I'm standing with Jesus. And catch this, for the sake of our party and for the sake of our country. Our party or country will never be strong when we stand for evil. So because we love our country, because we love our party, we need to stand. And so when it comes to issues, whether it's, hey, should we be in this war <coughs> or not? Should we, you know, economy, how should we approach it? 
you know, healthcare, whatever. I'm not saying there's easy right answers. I'm just saying we need to be at least asking the right questions. And I want you to think with me back to some of the things that our nation has done that have been clearly satanic and demonic. I want you to think back with me. I want you to think back uh, with me to uh, treaties with Native American Indians that we broke in violent and with brutal violence for the sake of greed. That we did that as a, as a nation. I want you to think with me back to the way we have treated African Americans throughout our history, the brutality, the ugliness. I want you to think back to, to the Japanese internment camps. We took people from their homes, United States citizens, violated their rights. And here's a funny thing. For most of us in this room, probably almost all of us, we would look back and we'd say, yeah, that was horrible. But can I tell you this? At the time it happened, many, if not most, Christ followers supported the government in those actions. And we saw no problem. We were waving the flag, and this is the Jesus thing. And, and it's like in Nazi Germany. In Nazi Germany, when Hitler came to power, you know that most of the church was supportive of Hitler. Very few people rebelled. One of those was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who took a strong stand. We now look back, he was a hero. At the time, most of the church in Germany supported Hitler out of a misplaced patriotism. And so men and women, I would say is, if we're going to be a force for good in our culture, as Christ followers, we need to get more sophisticated in our thinking. It can't be as simple as if, well, this is what the president says, and we're all in. Or if this is what, you know, if this is what, you know, it's got to be, we've got to think a little bit more. And we can't just rubber stamp whatever our party does or whatever. We need to stand on behalf of what is right and what is just and what is true. And for many of us here, we need to repent today. We need to repent from the ugly, vindictive, slanderous, revenge, underhanded tactics, the things we've said about our president, about our Congress, about our Supreme Court, about our state and local officials. That because whether we meant to or not, we have fallen into Satan's trap. And as a church of Jesus, we need to repent and say we may not, we may not always get it right. But from this point on, we want to honor, we want to respect, and we want to stand with Jesus wherever he stands the best that we can discern it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, we just thank you for this amazing teaching of Jesus that just gets teased out in the New Testament, that we're to give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but to give to God what belongs to God. And Lord, today, all over this auditorium, God, you see our hearts. And I'm sure, Lord, that there are many of us here who just feel convicted that for whatever reason, we just weren't thinking about this the right way. And we truly need to repent. We need to change the way we think. And we need to ask you to forgive us for the way we have slandered our president, slandered our officials, mocked, 
and, and really returned hatred for hatred. And so, Lord, we want to come back today to be simple Christ followers, to bless those who curse us, to pray for those who mistreat us, to love our enemies, and to do good to those who hurt us. And Lord, we just want to repent. We want to repent here right now. We want to ask you to forgive us. And we ask you to forgive us so that we could be a force for good, the providing a third way in our, in our culture. We, we, would, we would be a force to help return to civil dialogue between opposite sides of issues. We would not attack people. We would stand for positions. And we would do so with love and graciousness and great courage so that the voice of Jesus could be heard in our culture coming from his people. And we pray, Lord, that if we've sinned against you, if we've called ourselves Christ's followers, we have not done what you've asked. We pray you'd forgive us, heal us, cleanse us, and then send us back to be a force for good. And so, Lord, we thank you that in the midst of this, as we, we come and we say we talk about our country, Lord, right now we want to pray for our nation. We want to pray for our leader. We pray for our president. We pray for our Congress. We pray for our Supreme Court. We pray for our state and local officials. We pray, Lord, that they would pursue a course of righteousness. We, we pray that you would restore us as a nation. And we thank you that, King Jesus, you rule over the affairs of men, that you raise up rulers and you set them down. There are times and seasons, and as chaotic as it often seems, as crazy it often seems, that you are sitting on the throne, and that you rule, and you reign. And it is your people, Lord. We don't have to hang our heads. Even when things are going the wrong direction, we can be confident. You're on the throne. You have a plan, and you're bringing a plan to fulfillment in human history. And we play, we would rise up and be courageous men and women who would play our part as a force for good in these amazing times that we're in the name of Jesus might be honored, that for your sake, we might honor the king. We pray this in Christ's name as we bring you our offerings and worship now. Amen. Would you stand with me as we worship? And it's an amazing message that our God reigns. When the New Testament was written, there was a godless Caesar on the throne who claimed to be the son of God. When the New Testament was written, you had men like Herod Antipas, cutting off the head of John the Baptist. When the New Testament was written, you had a Roman governor named Pontius Pilate who arrested God and put him on trial and executed God. But Jesus said, you would have no authority over me unless it was given to you by my Father. Our God reigns. Our God reigns. Hey. So men and women, we don't have to hang our head during these times. We pray for revival. We love God. We love people. We stand for what's right and good and true. We are people of integrity. We take a stand for what is right and we take a stand for what's wrong. But we do it with love. We do it with respect. We don't fight this war with the enemy's weapons. We don't try to overcome evil with evil. We overcome evil with good. We love people. We pray for our nation. We are great citizens. We disagree, but we do it in a way that honors them. As men and women who created in the image of God, maybe fallen, maybe walking away, 
but we treat them with great respect because we are not called to be their judge. There is one who's their judge. Our call is to speak for what is right and true and good and to speak with clarity and with dignity and with love. Amen? That's who we are, Rocky Peak. That's who we are. And so today, some of you have started a new journey. Today, some of you repented. Let me just say, in the name of Jesus, as based on his word, your sins are forgiven. If today you repented, you said, I've been wrong, God, then he's heard that prayer. And today is the start of a new season of your life, a force for good. Do all things without grumbling and complaining, that you might be a light in a dark place. Be a force for good. Take a stand, but do it in a way that others know who you love. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. Don't forget our prayer corner. We'll see you next weekend.